Welcome to Sometimes There's Side Eye, a podcast about two friends having real and unfiltered conversations about dogs and people. Listen as we talk about our lives with dogs, training, behavior, share some laughs, and a whole lot of banter. I'm Heather. And I'm Christy. This week, we are very excited to have a veterinarian on the show with us, and we are going to refer to her as the dog And she has decided to keep us with that versus her actual name, just because she wants the freedom to speak freely about the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Just a little bit of information about who she is and some of her experience. She has been in practice for 15 years, most of it in emergency medicine. She did a short stint in general practice and shelter medicine. She supports ethical breeding. She has had both rescues and purchased dogs from ethical breeders in the past, and she enjoys competition sports with her dogs. So please welcome the doctor to the show. Thank you for having me. I feel so important. (laughs) You feel so important. (laughs) We wanted to have the doctor on to just kind of go over where we're at with the vet industry as clients, we have one view of where we're at with the vet industry, but we just wanted to have somebody who's in the field talk to us about what they're seeing in the industry right now, as well as some different aspects of how we can support veterinary staff and how we can better support our own animals when they're going to the vet, as well as just a variety of things in the veterinary field. So thank you so much for for coming on today. And for being willing to speak freely. We love that. Yes. I feel like we have some kind of exclusive. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) As a veterinarian, what are your feelings on insurance for your pets? I think it depends on each individual. It depends on what kind of animal you have and what the chances of that animal having a lot of health issues are we we us as veterinarians know we call them breed predilections there's certain things that we know are very common in certain breeds say that again Um, slow breed predilections oh predilections got it what does that mean so that means that there are certain things that i know that this specific breed has a high probability of having or getting whether it's genetic or just something very common in the breed And so we study those a lot in school because as soon as that dog walks to the door, depending on what the breed is and the symptoms are, I may already know what's wrong with the animal before I've done any diagnostics or touched that dog strictly because we've studied these breed predilections, these things that certain breeds are prone to. I'm going to use Heather as an example since you figured you would. No, no. uh -uh, Oh, friend. Friend, I'm going to use friend. I'm going to use friend. Since you want to ask me an off the cuff question, but Trin is actually great. Uh, her breeder did a great job, but Frenchies overall worldwide have something called BOAS, which is brachycephalic obstructive airway syndrome. And so nine times out of 10, I have a, say uh, my receptionist tells me, hey, we have a triage, a stat triage. It's a French bulldog coming in, having trouble breathing. I'm like, well, it's probably got obstructive airway disease. Now, could it be five other things? It could. But that's the number one thing that's going to go top of my list because this is something that's very common in that breed. If I have a 10-year-old German Shepherd comes in for running in the backyard, screams out, and is now not using its back hind leg, 
I'm going to think bone cancer and a pathological fracture because osteosarcoma is very common in, say, German Shepherds, Great Danes, because that is on my list of things that are very common, those breeds at that age and those sycamores. So back to the insurance question, it depends on what kind of breed you have, right? If you have a breed that tends to be very unhealthy or may have a lot of genetic issues, yeah, you, these can be costly things. And you may, and if you are someone who maybe isn't financially wealthy or financially stable, but you really want one of these breeds, yeah, you might want to look into getting pet insurance. Now there's some pet insurances that don't cover certain genetic conditions, pre-exposing conditions, but um, I just learned with my own personal puppy, I added, I have pet insurance for my pets. Yes, I am a veterinarian, but things can still get expensive for us. That one of the insurance company I use uh, just added in a modular plan, which does include genetic and congenital conditions now. So if you are somebody who's not good at saving money and putting money aside for your pet, I think you should consider getting pet insurance. If you don't like to use credit cards and if you try to put something on a credit card and you think that's going to be hard to pay off, you should probably get pet insurance. Say maybe your credit isn't that great. And, you know, a lot of vet clinics, we think, take things like care credit and scratch pay, but you have to have decent credit to, to get approved for those things. So if yeah. you maybe don't have the best credit, yeah, these are reasons why you should probably get pet insurance. If you yeah. think I can do maybe, and it depends, again, it depends on the breed. And these are things you could think about before you get the dog you do, because the breed I have tends to be fairly healthy. So their cost of their pet insurance is not that expensive. Will you share what your pet insurance monthly cost is going to be for your puppy? And then we'll compare it to trend because they're basically the same age, but different breeds. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually decided to go ahead and get the modular plan with her since it does cover congenital things. And I'm paying $39 a month. And trans health insurance, 100 a month. And I believe that our coverages are probably similar. So it's probably mostly a breed difference. Like I said, it really is something you really have to think about. I think the first thing is you need to think about the type of dog you want to get mm -hmm. and look into the type of conditions they can get and say, can I afford this dog if it gets really, really sick? And if I might not be able to, then is pet insurance something I can afford? If I can afford $100 a month, if I have a French or English bulldog, then yeah, I, I would definitely do it because this is a breed that can, these are breeds that can have lots of different issues. If you can't, then you should also consider, is this even a breed I can afford, period, whether you have insurance or not. I think that's the number one thing that people really, really need to think about before they select what kind of dog they get. And so should on just top go on of Craigslist and, and just buy a French bulldog? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I recommend <laughs> sure. that every day. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> there, there is nothing wrong there. No, but one no. thing I think I always thought for the longest time was if Heather, if the doctor is getting ethically bred dogs who are bred to not have these inherited genes that are causing problems within the breed, then why do they need insurance? And what I found is dogs are dogs. I have a friend who has a, a well-bred dog, but guess what? It never gets on the table for whatever reason. One day it got on the table. It ate an entire pill bottle of pills. It oh, had wow. to go to the veterinarian, the ER and stay overnight to be monitored because they couldn't pinpoint if they had gotten everything out or not. So they had to monitor it overnight. And she's like, well, 
really wish I would have put that insurance in before the $3,000 vet bill. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. dogs are living, breathing organisms. Yeah. So I, I think that it's sort of yeah. a misnomer that people think, oh, well, ethically bred or well-bred means perfect. And that's just no, no. not accurate. And right. it, it's just not. I mean, yeah. we've talked before about how freaking complex genetics are. And yeah. even with the best intentions, some things can go real, real wrong. I mean, nothing is 100%. Nothing yeah, right. is 100% nothing in this world. You know, it's yeah. like that package of food that's manufactured every day. And then that one can comes out dented or twisted or half of it's full and it's not, you know, like nothing is guaranteed in life and nothing is guaranteed in our pets. And I'll use an example of my own self. I know one of my dogs, my older lady blew her knee and had to get a cruciate surgery. So she had to get a TPLO. That's a $6,000 surgery. I get a little bit of discount from my professional relationship, but it was still going to be a big bill. Turn around a month later, my other dog got sick and had it from some weird, just GI bug upset had to be in the hospital for 48 hours. That was almost $8,500 within a two months time span. They're both insured. You want to know how much of that bill, those two bills I actually paid out of pocket. Mm -hmm. I think with my only 90% of that being reversed, plus my $500 deductible for both of them. I think I came out $2,000 Yeah, from 8,500. Things happen. Things yeah. happen yeah. that you just well, can't. Perfect. Dogs jump off a sofa and break a leg. I mean, you can yeah. have non-genetic things happen and just weird all the time. All the I time. Did it. Well, one thing I just wanted to say is the nice thing about insurance is it really brings the cost of care off the table. Yeah. And I, I do feel like that is such a sticking point with a lot of people feel veterinarians are just creating tests oh, just yeah. to create them, you know, and charge you more and more and more. Yeah, because they just want to charge you so much money, which, I mean, my vet was always so, oh, Christy, I I hate to tell you this, but I think we need to run another blood pan. And I was like, girl, it's fine. I got insurance. And she's like, thank God. Like, let's run the blood panels then. So money's not an object. Like, It's the same as when you meet yeah. your human deductible. And then you're like, yeah, I met my right. human deductible in July. We're doing all the things. For the rest of yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of takes yeah. that weird relationship off the table. Of, yeah. I never felt like my vet was trying to get money out of me. That was never a thought. But if you're somebody who does feel like that, then that takes it off the table for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that every veterinarian out there world is a saint and is perfect. People are people, humans are humans. And there might be some out there that are running up bills on people. I find that very rare that that happens. I found that very situational. I've worked with many, many, many vets and small hospitals, large hospitals. For most part, we just want to do what's right by you. And most vets are going to give you options. Mm -hmm. And this is how I break it down to my clients. Here's the gold standard. If this is what I want to do for your pet, if you can afford this, this is what you should do. But if you can't afford this, I'm going to give you other options. But yeah, having pet insurance makes that gold standard achievable pretty much every time. And in the end, people will try to pick and choose and say, well, I only want to do this today. I only want to do this today. But sometimes... As we continue to lollygag, should I say, <laughs> on getting to the answer, we've now prolonged how long that pet is being sick and they get a lot yes. sicker by the time I get to that answer because day one, 
had I done those x-rays, I might've got you that answer day one. Well, now it's two weeks later and now we're doing the x-rays and to find out your dog has an obstruction and now they're septic. And now, now it's a $10,000 issue when before it may have been a $3,000 issue. I, I don't know. So I think, yeah. again, looking at your lifestyle, the pet you have and where you're financially are makes having pet insurance makes that gold standard achievable for your pet each time. Yeah. I think something that was so useful to me after getting to know you and just understanding things was when something happens, those diagnostics are tools and Mm -hmm. we have to start eliminating what possibilities of the illness or issue can be. And the only way to do that is to do those diagnostics Mm -hmm. and understanding how that allows a vet to check things off the list of what it could be and narrow that field to figure it Mm -hmm. out that really helped me understand why those diagnostics are incredibly important. And there are a lot of ways that science has gotten better, but that also means that there's more diagnostics available. So that's something to keep in mind when you're taking your animal to the vet and the vet says, well, I think we should do X, Y, Z. They're trying to narrow the field and really truly figure out the mystery of what's going on. And sometimes that's harder than others. Clients want us to have a magic crystal ball and I don't have a magic crystal ball. I can't just look at your pet and say, this is what's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll bring a a pet in for coughing and well, what's wrong with my pet? Well, I don't know. Coughing is a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. Coughing can be 20 different things. And it can mean that your dog has heart failure. It can mean that your dog has pneumonia. It can mean that your dog has tracheal collapse. It could mean your dog has gastric reflux. I mean, it could be so many things. I'll have people that say, well, I just want antibiotics. Well, actually, you're wasting your money because if this is not something infectious, bacterial, you just wasted your money on those antibiotics. And now we wasted time because when your dog comes back in a week because it's not better, and then I do those diagnostics to only find out that, oh, your dog has tracheal collapse. Well, we just wasted our money on their time on those antibiotics because antibiotics doesn't treat that. We do need to do diagnostics. I can't tell you what's wrong with your pet. Now, my physical examination itself is a diagnostics, and there's sometimes I can listen and I say, yeah, your dog has a heart murmur and I can hear crackles on your lung, your dog might have heart failure. But I might still need to do diagnostics to rule that in or out because other things, you may have a heart murmur, but there's other things that can cause crackles on the chest that aren't heart related. So, and that kind of goes back to why your physical examination is so valuable. Pets can't tell us what's wrong. I can go into my doctor and I can give them a laundry list of things that are going on with me. And that probably helps them narrow things down. But our pets can't do that. So Mm -hmm. I really need to put my hands on them to give us a better idea. And once I put my hands on them, I can steer you in the right direction. Yeah, we need to do this. We need to do that. Or you know what? We don't need to do this. Maybe today is the day where antibiotic is the answer. And I don't need to do X-ray. But it all depends on multiple things, that history of that animal, what kind of animal it is, their age, what are their symptoms, and what am I seeing on their physical examination? And I'll say with Lucy, we had such a hard time figuring out what was wrong with her for so long. And then when I did go to the specialty vet, she was like, "Mm, I mean, I don't think it's this, but Cushing's, she's like, I really don't think it's Cushing's. She's like, but we could do this other test. And I was like, I'm here my deductible is covered. Let's do all the things that we can do today to give you all the answers. And she was like, 
holy crap, look at that. It's Cushing's. We did not see that coming. (laughs) She's like, I really just like recommended it as a, I mean, I guess if nothing else works, maybe we'll do Cushing's later. And she was like, no, that dog has Cushing's. (laughs) Yeah. Some dogs don't fit the book and you you think, yeah, probably not, but you know what? We should just check anyways. And then sure enough, they'll be like, they threw me wrong. Yeah. So having kind of talked about diagnostics a little bit and things like that, and because you have worked in different areas of the veterinary field, can you tell us when, since now we are seeing private practice veterinarians, so our general practice vets, just like your, you know, regular physician, and then we're seeing urgent cares coming to market in different areas. And then we're also seeing we, well, we've always had our emergency clinics. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a short list if I have a problem with my dog, it's a Saturday or, you know, when do you need to be running to the ER (laughs) and when can you maybe put it off? What is truly urgent? So I think what I'd like pet parents to do is be very proactive about their pet's conditions. If they are stable, they're eating, they're drinking, most of everything they're doing is normal and they've got these mild symptoms. Don't wait till it gets worse to decide to try to call your general vet and then be upset because they can't get you in that day. I have to book my own appointments three and six months out for my internist. I cannot call her today and be like, I have a cough. See me. No. And then she's going to send me to, she's going to say, well, if it's really that important, you really feel you're that sick, you need to go to emergency or urgent care. Think about what's going on with your pet. How ill or ill are they not? If it's rapidly progressing, then yeah, get them into emergency or urgent care. But if it's something that's very chronic, it's been going on for months, weeks, you know, those are things that your general vet can probably handle and and they can get you in. The things I see commonly emergency that probably aren't really emergencies are those chronic intermittent vomiting, chronic intermittent diarrhea, mild ear infections all the derm cases, all the itchy, licky, scratchy pets. If people are more proactive about getting into the vet at the start of a condition, now I can attend to the truly emergent thing. Animals coming in that can't breathe or bleeding out. They're in a diabetic crisis. They're in heart failure. These are the things I want to see in emergency. Now, I think the premise of urgent cares are great. I think we need them because they're kind of that in-between, something that Not quite a true, true emergency, but it probably can't wait another three, four days to get into your, or a week to get into your regular vet, right? It's the same like people and it's the same premise for our urgent cares. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I try, maybe I think I have the flu and I've tried over-the-counter medications. I'm just not getting better, but I'm functional. You know, I don't have a fever. I'm, I'm eating, I'm drinking. I'm still able to go to work. But I know something's not right. Maybe I should go to the doctor because this is lingering on too long. I'm probably going to go to urgent care. I'm not going to waste a hospital emergency that has full of dying sick people, but I'm still very functional. And so I'm going to go to urgent care. And I think that's what people also need to think about when they're deciding, well, do I go to urgent care or do I go to ER? How chronic is this condition or how acute it is? Do I think it can wait or no, it's rapidly progressing. And I don't know how many times I've been able to direct people by a simple phone call and not waste their time. No, you should not come see me. You should, yes, you should go to ER because this is really, really bad. Or 
you know what? It can wait overnight, go to urgent care in the morning. It probably shouldn't wait till next week, but sure. Or I'm going to say, yeah, you really should just go ahead and try to book that appointment in two weeks with your regular vet. This condition can probably wait. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, just call. Makes sense to me. Let's jump into one of the most controversial things that can be said about the vet industry. Why can't you work for free? Why do you have to charge? Or this is a rescue dog. Why aren't you giving a bigger discount? Let me preface this by saying, I ain't coming in for the money. It's my job. It's how me I too. Live. Yeah. Everybody's jobs is how you put a roof over your head, how you feed your children, how you pay your bills. I ain't working I for free either, baby. Uh-uh. Yeah. I think that's the worst statement that anybody can make. Your pet is not my responsibility. Just like your car is not my responsibility or the mechanic's responsibility. The grocery store, it's not their responsibility to pay for your groceries. So so why is it my responsibility to pay for your pet's care? And people will then say, well, you're heartless. Don't you care about the animals? Well, yeah, I do care about the animals a little bit too much, which is why a lot of veterinarians wind up having animals surrender to them and do spend their own money to take care of them. If I did everything for free and if we discounted every single thing we did, then we just wouldn't be open. And, you know, of course, I think we hear way more in the emergency because we are more expensive than, you know, your general vet. I guess the biggest question is people is why is vet care so expensive? And people want to compare the price of, say, an x-ray for their pet. Oh, well, uh, 20 years ago, I paid 50 bucks. Yeah, 20 years ago, a house was Mm $50,000. It's not anymore. You know, 20 years ago, I remember when I was a kid. Well, what was gas? 69, 79, 89? Yeah. I remember <laughs> when gas went to 99 cents a gallon and I almost fell over. Right, now right. we pay and it's called up four or $5. <laughs> yeah. And when prices of any type of product increase, then it gets passed on to the consumer. And it's no different in veterinary medicine. We have employees to pay. We have lights to keep on. We have equipment. We have all these things that we didn't do for pets 20 years ago. CTs, MRI, brain surgery, back surgery, those innovations cost yeah. because now I have to do an MRI and an MRI is a, you know, 50,000 plus machine. You know? I know. I was shocked when you told me that MRI machines for animals are the same MRI. It's, it's the same technology as used yeah. for people. I had same just, <laughs> yeah, I had just, but I hadn't put it together in my mind. And then when you said that to me, I was like, well, of course it's expensive, you know, because (laughs) Remy's MRI for back surgery was over $3,000. If you didn't have health insurance and you would go pay cash for you to go and get an MRI, it's going to be very pricey. And especially whenever technology is new, it's more expensive. Right, right. You know, one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is a lot of medications we use for animals are human medications as well. When I tell them, oh, you know, go get Benadryl. They're like, people Benadryl? I'm like, it's the same exact thing we use yeah. in pets. People are, when I say, go put your pet on Fibotidine, buy it over the counter. What? I can do that? Yeah. yeah. Not not every med- medication can you do that. But a lot of medications I'm prescribing for animals are human medications. So the cost of those medications are also driven by the cost of those prices that those pharmaceutical companies make it, right? There is a markup. We have to mark things up. You know, trust me, what the grocery store pays for that bread is not what you pay for that bread. They yeah. mark it up. You know, there's a markup in everything we do. We have to afford to stay open. We have to pay ourselves. We have to pay our employees. And the biggest problem that's uh, affecting the vet shortage is being underpaid for so long, not being paid what we're worth, and then having uh, just as much debt as human doctors. I mean, I came out of vet school with almost $300,000 worth of debt. 
and I have a house. So I have two mortgages, basically, you know, I have to get paid. I I have to make a living. We have a high turnover with veterinary technicians because for the longest, they weren't getting paid. So what's happening now is we're raising our, we are raising our prices. Partly we're raising our prices to be able to afford to start paying livable wages to our employees so that we don't have such a high turnover. If we can't do that, if I can't keep veterinary technicians, there's no veterinarians. There's no veterinary care. Just the same way as human doctors, if they don't pay their nurses well, there are no nurses, there are nobody to take care of patients in hospitals. That's a big part of it, the cost. And of course, like we said, the inflation, you know, I can't help when a pharmaceutical company raises the price of a medication, then unfortunately, I do have to pass that on to the consumer, have to make some profit somewhere. And if owners can't afford it, I will tell them, here, ask for a written prescription. If it's something you can get at human pharmacy because it's human medication, I will gladly give it to you. Trust me, there's a little bit of a markup on their end too, but because they're just a pharmacy, they're not paying a 24-hour staff and all this equipment and everything, their costs aren't the same yeah. to, to carry that medication as is. So those are the things you have to think about. An ER's cost for the same medication is going to be more expensive than a general practice vet because our costs to stay open is exuberant compared to that general practice vet. So again, goes back to my point. That's a reason to try to get your animal into the right, see your regular vet right away until it becomes a problem. And now you're an emergency, especially if you're worried about finances, because if I can prevent that problem from day one to getting worse, you're actually saving money in the end. Well, and if you're doing preventative care, then you have time. My decisions for whether or not I buy medications at my primary vet is this. Is it emergent? Do I need the medicine right now? Then I'm paying whatever I have to pay. But if it's not emergent and I can get a written script and save those dollars and shop it around, I'm going to do that. So if you are taking advantage of the preventative care as much as possible, then you can make choices like that to save yourself some some money. The veterinary industry changed pretty significantly over the pandemic. And I was wondering if you could kind of go over some of the shortages that the veterinary industry is seeing. And is that just because of the pandemic or is it actually a bigger problem that we saw sort of come to a head during that period? I mean, I definitely think the pandemic made it worse. COVID made it worse. I'm not going to say that the industry was perfect and there wasn't already problems on the rise, but COVID multiplied it by 20,000, I think for multiple reasons. And one of them, as we all have probably experienced is people's behavior has changed significantly. Anti-science behavior has come out into the public light more than people were willing to admit before. And so that's made a very anti-science, anti-medicine, anti-veterinarian climate out there. And that has then caused a lot of shortages because people are leaving the field due to the behavior of our clients and the way that affects our mental health on a daily basis. The fact that people are less willing to seek out veterinarian care and try to self-medicate their animals, less willing to listen to a veterinary, what a veterinarian has to say, and more willing to listen to social media <laughs> and their advice that has no idea what they're doing versus someone who's well-educated and has been and went to school and spent a lot of money to get that education and that knowledge. There's many layers we can discuss for them, but I think the biggest ones that are causing the, that have caused the shortage is uh, the public's behavior and this very anti-medicine, anti-science 
behavior that's going on out right now. I would imagine the massive influx of people getting animals during COVID as well, because just the sheer number of people who added pets or never had a pet and thought, oh, now's a great time to get a pet. It seems like that would be a factor too, just because the ratio of vets compared to the amount of people, I mean, we always talk about dogs because we're dog people, but just pets in general, I would think would have had a huge effect on it. A lot of people got these animals. We're at home with them all day. I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of people really weren't getting them out. Some because they couldn't, because we were on lockdown, weren't training them. They weren't socialized. Now you're going back to work. Now you have this pet that has a lot of needs that you can't meet. And so we're just seeing a large influx of animals more than normal. Also getting returned to the shelter, returned to rescues. I just came off of a stent working at a shelter. And I don't know how many of the rescue partners said this is the worst return of animals they've ever had in one quarterly year. The amount of animals, some of them adults that are getting returned to them years later and puppies getting returned to them. So it's just overwhelming the system overall. And with the anti-science climate that you talked about, where do you see that affecting medicine for pets? Are people just saying they don't believe in vaccines for themselves, so they don't believe in vaccines for dogs? Or is it they don't believe in medicines or, or what kind of what runs the gamut there? Vaccines is definitely a big one. I'd say preventive medicine overall. So whether that vaccinations, flea and tick preventatives, heartworm testing, heartworm preventatives, you know, a lot of people think that these are poisons that we're giving our pets. People are taking one known side effect of a drug and attributing that to the whole gamut, the whole population. So, oh, it caused this one dog to get sick. Therefore, it's going to cause my dog to get sick, which isn't a reality. The reality is when it comes to medicine and when it comes to medications, yes, there are side effects. Every medication we take, there's side effects. Whether you were going to be that one in a million person that has that side effect or not, we just don't know. So to say that a medication causes seizures in a patient and to say that that's going to cause every single dog that takes this medication to have a seizure, so therefore I'm not going to administer it to my pet is not realistic and it's just not true. So you get a lot of the social media content out there that takes one bad side effect or two bad side effects for a pet. And now they're attributing it to every single animal in the world. So you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. But then what that is doing is people's taking that information and not realizing, well, now my pet isn't protected. And so now I'm trying to avoid something that the chances of that happening are very, very low. But the chances of your patient getting sick from not being protected from these things are very, very high. So for example, I also, there's also this anti, that whole anti-vet climate and cost where people are self-vaccinating their pets. So they're going to the feed stores and, you know, or wherever. And the problem with that is you don't know how, where these medications are coming from. You don't know where, how they're being stored. You yourself, I don't even know if you're properly administering them and are you storing them properly when you get them home? And so I don't know how many animals I see because somebody wanted to save the $50 vet exam and the 20 bucks for the vaccine. They just want to pay their $10 at the fee store to get the vaccine. Well, now your animal is parvo because you don't know how to properly administer the vaccine or you don't know that they need more than one. You don't understand that it's a, they need several boosters to be protected. Well, now you have a five and $6,000 bill <laughs> mm -hmm. because now your patient has parvo. If and your so, pet makes uh, it. Right. If your pet makes it. And so 
that's something I think pet owners really need to take away is, yeah, you're trying, I get it. You're trying to save some money, but in the end, you're going to wind up spending a whole lot more if your animal does not seek proper vet care. And you're actually risking your patient's life more than that one chance, that one in a million chance of them having a vaccine reaction is much lower than the chance of them getting, say, parvo distemper if they have not been properly vaccinated. Where we live, that's a that's a high probability because we have a lot of parvo and we have a lot of distemper here. Absolutely. And one thing I would say if to people is if cost is an issue, there are a lot of low cost clinics out there. So research in your area, but still go to someone who is a professional and is trained to do these things so that you know that everything was stored correctly, that they are properly educated in how to administer these things. So if it is truly just a cost issue, there's some options out there for people you may have to do some legwork and and Mm -hmm. look into those options and maybe drive further, those types of things. But yeah, I would say that cost savings is not so great when you're just going to the feed store to to get your vaccines. Yeah. And if you want to, if we want to segue a little bit, I think the problem also with people trying to save money is they don't understand the value in that physical examination that you have to bet. It's not that I just want, I just want 50 bucks to give this vaccine and you don't want to pay that. So I'm going to self-vaccinate. I don't know how many puppies I've caught that have very large heart, loud heart murmurs on them, congenital mm-hmm. defects, other issues that had they not brought them in as a puppy to see me, we would not have caught those things. And so yeah. that physical examination cost is more, it's more valuable than just that getting that vaccine. It's an overall examination of your pet and their total health. And I'm looking, Mm -hmm. especially let's use puppies as an example, because that's what we see the most commonly for vaccines. I'm listening to their heart. I'm making sure I'm not hearing anything abnormal. I'm not hearing anything abnormal in their lungs. I'm making sure they don't have congenital abnormalities. Both testicles has dropped. (laughs) You know, you don't have a cleft lip. You don't have a cleft palate. I'm not seeing anything wrong with your eyes, your ears. There's no umbilical hernias. A whole gambit of things that are running through my mind that I need to be looking over this pet. So that we can try to fix these fix these things if they are correctable early on before your animal gets sick. Or unfortunately, I need to educate you that your pet has something very bad. And so that if we need to, we can ease that patient's suffering a lot sooner than later. Um, so yeah, there's the good sides you, and bad sides to it. I know and you the, also uh, do a lot of educating during that time. Yeah, that's what I right. was going to say. I feel like my vet has educated me so much during exams that that information is so invaluable. It's much, it's worth much more than $50. What, what I've gained. Mm-hmm. Also, I know, you know, my friend, when she was bringing her doodle in as a puppy, the vet was preparing her for also, Hey, at a year old, these are some things to expect at six months old. Here's some things to expect. These are some life cycles that your dog's going to go through specifically what I see with doodles or mm-hmm. what I see with this breed having that relationship with your vet right at the beginning is so valuable. Right. Right. Cause that's also the time for me to take into consideration what kind of dog you're bringing to me. You know, yes. and that's the time for me to educate you. Okay. I'm seeing this cute great Dane puppy. Hey, did you know about a condition called GDV or gastric dilation volvulus? Very common in this breed when they get older. Hey, when we get ready to spay or new year dog, we should consider tacking their stomachs to prevent this from happening in the future. But I've seen people that never took their dogs to the vet as puppies. Mm -hmm. And then they came in 
at two years of age, three years of age, now they're in emergency because their dog's stomach has tours because nobody told them that this could happen. Well, maybe had you seen me when that dog was six months old, I would have told you this was a risk and let's fix this now. So when we get them in spayed and neutered, let's tack their stomach so we can prevent this from happening down the line. I see so many conditions that could be prevented from coming into the ER had they been taken in and had proper care from the beginning when they started that young puppyhood age and that I could have educated that client before we got to that point and could have saved you a whole lot of money. (laughs) The preventative piece is so key. Getting people to sort of think of, it's not just a vaccine appointment. You're not just going and letting the vet stab your pet. So much more than that. I mean, I don't stab them. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much more than just getting that vaccine. And when you calculate all the knowledge and everything that you have and all this time you spent in school and the continuing ed and everything else, 50 bucks is a bit of a bargain, you know, for what the information that you're taking away, because you're seeing, we're going to use dogs, you're seeing dogs all day long, every day. So you have a real nice sample size to be able to give people wisdom about their different pets. Right, right. And then one more thing I, I think is valuable that people don't know when you fail to take your animal to the vet to say, get their vaccines or say their monthly heartworm tests and get them on preventatives. I see a lot of people that they try to get them from other sources, other countries, go to Mexico, get their heartworm prevention, but the dog's never been tested or back to the whole self-vaccine thing is what people fail to realize is all these companies have manufactured guarantees, right? It's kind of like a warranty almost for a product you purchase. So when you bring your animals to the vet and I've properly vaccinated them, I've documented that I properly vaccinated them. And I purchase these vaccines directly from the manufacturers or a veterinary supply company. I have the serial numbers, expiration date. I have all the records showing, yep, you came in every three to four weeks. I fully vaccinated this animal to the standards of what the vaccine manufacturers considers fully vaccinated. Worst case scenario, there is a such thing as vaccine failure. Now your animal does still come down with the disease despite being fully vaccinated. I can reach out to that company and say, hey, your vaccine failed. And now they are financially responsible. And so now that that dog that does get parvo, that's a five and $6,000 bill, give or take. A lot of these companies will shell about three to $5,000 towards their care. So now you have a financial commitment from that company to also help take care of your pet. And that is something you do not get if you self-vaccinate. You self-vaccinate and your dog gets sick. They're going to be like, well, we don't know what you did. We don't know where that yeah. vaccine came from. We don't know how you ministered it. Did you minister it? Did it? Was it stored correctly? So we will not guarantee that product. And so those are the things I think people just don't know. But if you come into me as a vet, I'm going to tell you these things. So Mm -hmm. this is why you should continue to come see me. And let me finish your vaccine series because God forbid something happens. I have resources to help you financially Mm -hmm. with that. And it is the same thing for heartworm preventatives. If you can show by records that your, your animal got tested every year like they were supposed to, you came in every six months to get your preventative, you were giving it and your animal still comes out with heartworm. Again, that company is going to back their product and they are, I'm going to call them. I'm going to get them on the phone and I'm going to say, Hey, I need financial assistance for this pet parent um, because they did everything right. And unfortunately they're they're you know, your product failed this time around and it happens. We can't say that doesn't happen in the world because it does. It happens with human products, veterinary products, you know, 
how many of us have bought refrigerators and it broke down the first year? Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Not everything, not everything is perfect. When I left the vet after Trin's last appointment, I was getting ready to go and there was a couple there and they were there with their one-year-old dog and they actually had a parvo vaccine failure and they had completed four parvo vaccines, which for those of you who aren't in like a really terrible parvo area, there are many situations where we're doing four and they had a vaccine failure and the vet, and it was a $5,000 bill and through the vet and everything else, we're able to get it taken care of. And the company stood behind them and the dog did survive. So yeah, I think it's very, it seems like it's very rare, but it can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's rare. I don't know. Maybe in my whole 15 year career, I've maybe seen, maybe I can count probably on one. Yeah. Animals I've treated for vaccine failure. But every time I call, which is the point, which is the point, like the point is that they do not get these things. They do not get Parvo if they get the Parvo shot. So if there's a failure, that should be counting it on one hand over 15 years. But it's nice to know that in that very rare case, that there's something to back you up. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. If they were vaccinated by a veterinarian. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yes. (laughs) So there is that. I'm going to reiterate that. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have stats for where we are with the vet shortage at this point? I mean, it's kind of all over the place right now. I think the most recent stuff was done by the AVMA beginning of last year when it was starting to get really, really bad. And they're basically statistics are saying that right now, there's multiple reasons why we're having a shortage, right? One of them is retirement. A lot of vets are getting older and they're retiring. So they estimated that about 3,000 vets a year are retiring. And so then if you have that many retiring, you've got to pump out that many students. Well, there's not as many vet schools as there are human medicine schools. And I think, don't quote me on this, but we may be barely over 40 vet schools in the country right now. Um, Maybe somewhere between 40 and 50. There are, I think Utah's, talking about getting one. U of A just is under accreditation and stuff, but they're starting a vet school. So that's part of it. So you have vets, a ton of vets retiring. You can't pump them out as quickly as the ones that are retiring. But on top of that right now with the current climate, you have approximately 2000 vets a year that are leaving the industry. They're just like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of not getting paid a living wage. Well, I have tons of debt. I'm tired of the abuse, whether it's used to just be verbal. It's getting to the point where it's getting physical. Um, we're having clients assaulting veterinarians, stalking them. Social media has made things yes. so much worse than us. Oh, yeah. God forbid, God forbid a, a minor complication happens with a pet. And now they're going and they're bashing that clinic all over the place, throwing bricks mm-hmm. through the windows of the clinic, protesting. And a lot of times when you dig down deep into these cases, nothing malpractice was done. It was literally somebody that's just upset that their pet died. And everything didn't go the way that they wanted to. And that's not a reason for us to act, for people to act out the way they are acting. And so they're estimating right now that there's probably 0.8 veterinarians to every every 1,000 pets in the United States. That's not even one to 1,000. That's a lot. In comparison to the UK and Australia, where they're like about 1.4 to 1.7 per 1,000 pets. So we're bad. We're in a bad place. Yeah. 
And so right now they're saying it's going to take an additional 41,000 veterinarians to catch up with how many pets are in the United States by 2030. We're going to need another one, 41,000 veterinarians. Wow. Um, in the next seven years, just to catch up. And there's the no way. There's no way. There, there's no way. Especially when you already have estimated 3,000 veterinarians retiring a year yeah. on top of 2,000 leaving the field, or maybe they're not completely leaving the field, but they're they're leaving private practice. They're going yeah. to government jobs, research, telemedicine, yeah. um, corporate, you know, something like that. So yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> With those kind of numbers, are are there resources that are offered to vets to help with the stress caused by that shortage that we're seeing? Mm, not really. No. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I mean, there's only so many relief veterinarians in mm-hmm. in this country. So yeah, I I don't I don't think I don't know I don't even know that I have an answer, and I don't know that many people have an answer to it right now, other than we're going to have to think about the way we pay vets and veterinarian staff. I think we really need to think about the cost of education. And that's just, that's not even just with veterinarians. I think our education system all around, it makes no sense that somebody's education to do a job costs them five times than what they're going to make in the first five years of that job. I I just don't, I just don't get that. It's not realistic. Maybe for certain human doctors, $300,000 of debt doesn't. For a really specialty or something. Because yeah, if you're a surgeon, you might make that half a million dollars in a year who knows but for say general practice vets or general practice human doctors that have that much debt you know family care human doctors don't necessarily make a ton of money either so the fact that our education (laughs) costs way more than we're going to probably make it our first five to ten years out of school and that's not even accounting for the interest it's just it's a little it's a little ridiculous so Something that really shocked me as I got to know you was when you shared that you did not have any kind of mental health education going through vet school to prepare you for the types of things that you were going to encounter. And I know, you know, we are very aware that the suicide rate in veterinarians is astronomically high. Our suicide rate is ridiculously high. And it amazed Uh, me that you don't didn't have any sort of mental health support or education while you're going through school. That was shocking to me. Yeah. um, I think part of it is it, it wasn't as bad back then. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have changed in our society that now make it almost important that these things are being addressed in veterinary school. And um, the other things that we weren't well educated on is your quality of life and your yeah. work-life balance, um, mm-hmm. compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they definitely hit on some compassion fatigue a little bit when I was in school, but I think the demand for it now is way more because of the climate of this country right now. Those statements hurt that people say, the ones where Oh, you don't care about my pet. You're just going to let my pet die because I can't afford this. Oh, you're only in it this for this money. Where does the pet owner's responsibility come in? Mm-hmm. And then to continue to put that burden on us adds to our mental issues, no longer yeah. having any type of mental well-being. We take that stuff home with us. Yeah. And, you know, for you to sit there and say that I don't care about your pet just because I can't do something for free, it's almost like a stab in the back. 
I went through four years of extended education past my undergrads years um, to get this knowledge and to get this education, have hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of debt. I go to continuing education every year. I maintain a license. I maintain my education. And for you to sit here and say, I don't care about your pet, that really hurts. So um, think people, they really need to stop and they really need to think before they open their mouths. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say that's definitely one way we can support staff is, first of all, let's not attack veterinarians before you speak verbally yeah yeah definitely think before you speak are there other ways we can support our veterinarian professionals stay off social media Mm. stay off social media i am so you know i think this is the one thing i can speak for a lot of veterinarians we are tired of the falsities that get passed around on social media about us and our industries and the vet companies like, oh, my God, the current thing with the Purina dog food right now is just sickening. You have a veterinarian out there who's touting her own agenda and is claiming that Purina is one making all these- veterinarian. Yes. Making all these dogs sick. And um, and so then it's like making our lives as a whole horrible because I have clients now wanting to say, oh, my dog's sick. It must be the food. I'm not going to feed that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not saying that any one dog food company is a hundred percent and perfect, but, um, but do your own research people yeah. stop listening to everything you hear on social media. The hysteria. Um, stop going to social media to complain and boycott a veterinary clinic because they couldn't get you in that day. And you refused to go to the emergency and your dog died. That's not my fault. How is that my fault? Mm-hmm. How is mm-hmm. the fact that you waited a week while your animal was sick to take it in and now it's it's ill and it's dying i think the biggest things that we need right now for the community is support and the support can come in the ways of don't believe everything you hear stay off social media a positive <laughs> review saying, <laughs> get right, on and social saying, media and give a positive give a positive review, review. Right, right, right. Yeah. i'm not saying uh, i'm not saying don't do your regular browsing on social media but you, you know, just mean stop. don't use it as a weapon yeah, yeah, stop using it as a weapon. Be patient. Be patient. When you go into the emergency, and it's sick of me when I've had clients angry because they have to wait five hours for their limping dog, as they literally see other people coming in, dogs not breathing and being rushed to the back. But you're mad because you, you're like, well, I don't care about that pet. I want my pet seen. No, I feel What's thankful. Going- And uh, when your pet's in the emergency, let me tell you from somebody who used to be a hospitalist, I took care of all the inpatients in the hospital. There's days I'd walk in and there'd be 35 patients and they're all mine. You should be glad if I'm not calling you to the end of the day. That means that you have one of the most stable patients in the hospital. If you're getting my call first thing in the morning, that's not good. Yeah. So, so it goes back to be patient. You're not the only person with a pet. You're not the only person with a sick animal. But yes, it's just like in human medicine. And I, I keep saying that. I keep using human medicine as comparison because I don't know why people seem to put us in a different world than them. And yes, for some things it's different, but for some things it's it's the same. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into the human ER, you it's like you expect a six-hour wait, right? Yeah. Stable, I don't feel good. I know I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna bring my book. But people walk into the veterinary emergency and for some reason that's unacceptable. It, it's no different. Mm-hmm. We triage the same, take stat triages are going to get seen way before something that's uh, stable. 
be patient, understanding. If you have concerns, ask questions, just don't go off the cuff, contain your anger, <laughs> ask for an update. We'll gladly give you an update, but understand that if your pet is stable, you're, you're going to be waiting. Understand that there's a national shortage. So yeah, you're going to take two and three weeks to get into your regular vet. Plan accordingly. And for some reason, yeah. And for, for some reason, if you, if you think that your pet is too sick to wait, pick up the phone, right? We'll let you know, yes, this is a condition where your pet can wait. Or no, this is, a, this is a condition where you need to go ER. And when they tell you to go to ER, don't be pissed off. They're telling you for a reason. Our general practice vets are so overwhelmed right now. Nobody wants to go to the urgent care. Nobody wants to go to the ER. But let me ask you, do you do that to your regular primary human doctor? If they can't, I mean, literally, like I said earlier, my appointments are booked three and six months out. I can't get in for three and six months. If I'm that sick, I'm going to urgent care. When your regular vet tells you, go to urgent care, go to urgent care. And really think about the climate that we work in. Be thankful that we're we're even here. Yeah. Um, and and realize that your words Bring them some cookies. have consequences. Yes, we always take food, but your words have consequences. And we do have a very high suicide rate. We literally have a support group called Not One More Vet in OMV. And it's literally vets supporting other vets who are struggling. And to see posts from other veterinarians literally saying that they don't want to be here anymore and they need help because of what a client has done to them or is, or to see that a client is trying to destroy their practice that they've worked years and years to build simply because of one minor complication. It, it's, it's hard. It's saddening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really tired of seeing posts every other day of another vet that committed suicide. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh. that's that's some high stakes in an industry that people i mean it's it's just it, it doesn't need to be that way it's so unfortunate yeah i mean when i was a kid veterinarians were looked up to we thought the world of our vet you know you're here to take care you know i walk in with my puppy and oh you're here to take care of my puppy it's the best yeah. on earth and and I don't know where that changed. And now it's like we're the enemy or something. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry, but we, we still care very much about your pet. But in the end, they are your responsibility. Well, and I think there's pressure everywhere in the world. And that doesn't, that doesn't, your vet is under pressure too, you know? Yeah. So yeah. they're not immune to, to the state of the world. Right. So that, that needs to be kept in mind overall. Mm -hmm. And do you know any other industry where you may have to euthanize your own pet that morning and still yeah. go in and have a smile on your face and greet somebody and take those emotions completely out of the picture and still do your job? Because trust me, I've had to do it. I've yeah. had to euthanize my own pet and then go to work the very next day and contain all of the emotions and the grief that I'm still feeling yeah. and give it and give it to my client who may now also be grieving and I have to euthanize their pet. Yeah. I was going to say, you know? and potentially euthanize. Yeah. 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 So what industry are you going to see that? Right. Yeah. We don't do it in human medicine, you know, human it's medicine, literally all... trauma on top of trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So just think that if your vet is having an off day today, there might be a reason and don't take all your frustrations out on them. They may be going through the same exact thing as you. Yeah. They may have done the same exact thing the day before, or maybe they're not grieving their own pet, but maybe they euthanized three of their best, longest clients. Yeah. And trust me, we get, we get emotionally attached to our patients. 
What do you think owners can do to best advocate for their pets when they do go to the vet? Um, I mean, ask questions. Don't just nod your head and say yes. I will look at people in their face and be like, do you understand? And they'll be like, uh-huh. And I'm like, they don't understand. I can yeah. tell I look at and I'm like, are you sure you don't have any questions? When you when they ask you that, ask the questions. Trust me, there is no stupid questions. I'd rather you walk out the door and you understand what's going on with your pet rather than not and then have more questions or be frustrated. Or go to social so, media but, to figure it out. Yes, or go to those and they'd be like, they didn't tell me this could happen. I'm like, look, I asked you if you had any questions. You said Blake to my face. No. So so ask questions. Ask all the questions you need. If you think of them the next day, shoot me an email, call the reception, leave a message. You know, may not hear from you until the end of the day because it's crazy, but ask your questions. Don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. You know, if you aren't sure that you're getting that information or getting those questions answered that you have, I see, I see many pets that are second opinions. Mm -hmm. I've had clients come to me and say, do you mind if I get a second opinion? I'm like, no, I do not mind if you get a second opinion. I want you to be comfortable with the decisions that you're making, the information that's being presented to you. Mm -hmm. So, so ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. I still remember when you were looking at one of my dogs in our, the very early stages of a relationship, <laughs> Daisy, <laughs> or no, it was Remy. It was Remy. Uh -huh. And you came to see her and you looked at me and said, I think it's either her back or her hips. And she, and, and you looked at me and said, go get a second opinion. And I was like, eh? like I had never had a vet or a doctor or anyone in the medical profession look at me, say, I think this is what it is now go get a second opinion. And I was like, holy shit. It meant so much to me though, because it was like, you know, nobody's perfect and you had your guesses and it, it, I knew it wasn't your profession, but I very much trusted your opinion. And I went and got a second opinion. And of course you were right, but it meant a lot. And I think that that's a really great point for people. If you don't feel comfortable, you're not sure, go ask again. And we would refer you to a specialist. There's a reason, right? It's because, yeah. you know, I'm staying within my lane and yeah. now I think this condition may be out of my lane. And you just have to understand that your vet may not always have those answers for you. And I may not always have the tools that I need to give that answer. And I am going to refer you elsewhere. To, and that's why veterinary specialists exist, just why human doctor no, specialists yeah. exist. And I don't think it's wrong to ask your vet too. I ended up asking my vet, do you think it's time to involve a specialist? And she said, I, yes, yep. I'm glad you brought that up. It's going to be expensive, but I do think it. I've run out of options yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when we went to a specialist, you know, yeah. but also I know because of the vet shortage and my veterinarian was out of the office, I believe she was out for like two weeks unexpectedly. So I felt like I had something that was not an emergency and could wait a couple days, but not probably a week or two. And I ended up going to the doctor and then going back to my vet and I was like, I only went to somebody else because, and she's like, I do not care. Like I always right. encourage you if I'm not available, get to a vet that you trust. Also, yeah. if you have questions about things, obviously ask me, but if you want a second opinion, that is okay. She's like, I feel like the more brains that are together, 
looking at something, the more likely we're going to figure out what it is. And I think there's right. a lot of vets who feel that way. So I know I felt very awkward, like, oh, now I went to two different vets. And, and both me, of yeah, you we guys were, were like, no, <laughs> yeah. we're on board. It's not a like, contest. We want to support yeah. each other. Let's get the Right, right. It's together. not a contest. And, yeah. and I tell people this all the time, like, I get it. You may have a special relationship with your vet. Maybe they've been your vet for 15 years. But, you know, we are human. We take vacations. Yeah. You know, we have children. We, we can't be there all the time. But call around. Maybe another vet can, clinic has just a good a veterinarian that can get you in today. Maybe yeah. a cancellation. Maybe they have more veterinarians on staff. Maybe this one only has two, but this one has 10. So their availability is more. Don't be afraid to just say, oh, my vet couldn't get me in for three weeks and just be mad. There's other resources. So, yeah. you know, use those other resources and ask. Don't be afraid to ask for those other resources. Okay, you can't get me in. Do you have any recommendations? I could be like, hey, yo, my um, my colleague that I went to vet school with, she's also amazing and she works right down the block. See if you can get in to see her. Yeah. You know, so ask questions and ask for second opinions and ask for resources if uh if you're not getting the answers that you need i also think too your realm of experience well yours is very wide because you worked in emergency but everybody has their their level of experience and the things they've seen and i'm sure different markets have different things like we in the southwest have valley fever a vet on the east coast might not know what that is you know there's different differences and so having a bunch of different people on the team who have different experiences especially when it's something really complex and might have different ideas can also be super useful i mean when we were trying to figure out what was going on with daisy we gosh we had a team of like five different vets i think that were looking at her x-rays and her you know everything else to try and right. figure out what the hell was going on and right sometimes you need that type of thing yeah. And people will, they'll get upset because maybe I do a test and I don't give you an answer. And now I'm like, okay, well, this is the next step. Of course, it's more money. And we do that. And it doesn't give you an answer. It doesn't matter. And then people get very frustrated. And I think what we're failing to see and compare is that in human medicine, you're insured. So what do human doctors might do? Okay. Well, I want x-rays, CT scan, five different types of panel of blood work, consultation with this, echo, and they just do it all in one day. They do all the orders it, in one day. And it falsely, right, and it falsely looks like they get to this answer sooner than we did or that they pulled out some miracle. No, they were just able to do all the diagnostics that they needed in that one setting. Yeah. And if a client's finance is limited what I can do, then you have to understand then that I might, say, now we need to move on to the next step. Now we need yeah. to move on to the next step. And you just have to understand that and be okay with that because maybe that first test gives me an answer, yeah. but maybe it doesn't, you know? Yeah. And um, you just have to be open to, to understanding that medicine is not, it is a science. It is not exact. We have to kind of use our head and our tools. Absolutely. I know it can be stressful for animals to go to the veterinarian. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I'm sure you're, <laughs> you're constantly at risk of being bit or scratched or all sorts of things. Are there some things that you have found or you wish people did to make pets more comfortable going to the vet? Are there suggestions you have that we could do as pet owners to 
ease some of that anxiety for our pets? Train them. Training. Yeah. Train them. <laughs> no, okay. So like what kind of training? That's one thing, but let me tell you, that's a big thing, right? Yeah. So, um, I think uh, what does that mean? Does that mean yeah. sit and shake? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. Socialization, you know, Heather knows that she's on it to cooperative care, you know, teaching him the things that they're going to encounter when they get to the veterinary. But I think the biggest thing along the training is socialization. We see so many animals that have never even left the house. They're, they're not properly socialized. So now you put them in that type of setting and they're just going to melt. They are not going to do well. We are, we are not setting our pets up for success in many different situations, but vet mm-hmm. care is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, so really work on socializing them and getting them out. And if it's as little bit as your puppy is now fully vaccinated and they may be healthy, but just say, can I bring Fluffy by the vet clinic? Can I just sit in the Put him on the scale. Can I, just, can I yeah. just put him on the scale? I don't know how many dogs hate getting on the scale. It's like, yep. it's a fight. Can I uh, just come by and say hi to, to my doctor, right? So the dog gets used to you and gets used to the staff. Just mm-hmm. getting them out, getting them used to uh, different environments. And then yes, basic obedience goes a long way an animal that I can get to sit and lie down and stay and, and is comfortable being on its back or comfortable being on its side, comfortable being picked up are all valuable things for us. We have our own tools, right? But, but it helps if uh, we can mitigate a lot of those, those things in the beginning, makes the appointment go by faster and met, makes your pet's experience much more pleasurable for them and I, a lot of different things like that. So but understand that if you have a animal that is not well socialized and not well trained, that we may have to use our tools and you just have to be comfortable with that. I, I'm yeah. sorry, but Muzzle. my first line, yeah, and my first line of defense is to not get bit and yeah. to not have my, and it's not have my staff get bit and to not have you get bit. So uh, like when I have those clients that refuse to put a muzzle on their dog and I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I refuse to serve your pet today. Now don't go on social media and say, <laughs> Because it's always one-sided. It's always going to yeah. be one side of the story yeah. where the backside was, no, your dog was lunging at everybody and trying to bite them and you wouldn't put the muzzle on them. And I couldn't mm-hmm. get to them to maybe drug them or medicate them to touch them without the muzzle. Therefore, I mm-hmm. can't help you. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then if your dog has inappropriate behaviors, you really have to be okay with that yeah. and say, yeah. I, I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. Let's muzzle him. Or we can't even get the muzzle on him. So maybe we need to work on muzzle training. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to reschedule this appointment and I'm going to give you sedatives and I'm going to send you home and give these to, to your dog before the appointment. And maybe it'll be a much smoother appointment just with a yep. little bit of drug. Yeah. But don't get frustrated and don't get mad because I'm sorry, a dog's behavior is, it is what it is. And I can only work with so much. And it's not a yeah. personal attack. Well, no, right. It's, right. It's, I think people do take it personally. Sometimes. Yeah. Christy's been through it, right. through it with Lucy. She had a period where she really had a really yeah. hard time. Yeah. And she, and I feel like she, she had communicated. Well, actually the doctor was uh, present when it happened and she nibbled, uh, nibbled. <laughs> she, she did not break skin, but she did try to bite a vet yeah. tech and, and the veterinarian and the doctor uh, both came in and said, Hey, she showed us. She was uncomfortable repeatedly, but we couldn't respect those wishes because of the type of things we were doing. We needed her to lay still. And she kept saying, I'm uncomfortable. 
And then finally, when she felt like she had no options, she lashed out and then immediately went to the person, got real small and wiggly with them, like to apologize. (laughs) But after that point, I warned every vet and I said, hey, you know what? If it's going to stress her out, I'd much rather you drug her. I don't think she needs to be muzzled. If it's, you know, I probably should have well, just She also had anxiety her, about going to the vet too. So did. the drugs helped yeah. that way as well. Yeah. So I was always on board to drug. And, and some days the vet was like, oh, we just gave her some those hot dogs you brought in with you. And like life was grand and we didn't, she was great. Everybody so, knows me at my yeah. vet office because I'm always walking in with cheese sticks. Cheese <laughs> and hot dogs. <laughs> Everybody knows. And you know, taking Trin in, she's going for her fourth vaccine appointment on Tuesday. And while I'm there with her, I'm training. You know, while I'm waiting for the vet to come in, I'm asking her to do different things just in that environment. And I'm putting her on the scale, treating her, all that stuff. So It's all opportunities to be able to get them accustomed to it. But also I agree, muzzle training at home. I think everybody should muzzle train all their dogs if possible because you just, you never know. They're going to be in some immense amount of pain that's just, they they need that. Or God forbid you live in an area that all of a sudden gets a ban and then your dog has to wear a muzzle. I mean, that's... And if you know ahead of time that your dog has behavioral issues or has had issues at the vet before... Please be honest and tell me, because I don't know how many times I've had a dog very close to my face. And after the fact, I know it was like, oh, I'm surprised they did so well with you. You tried to bite the last person. Well, thanks. (laughs) Um, You know, or we took the dog to the back and then brought him back. Oh, Fluffy was so good. Oh, I'm so surprised. She usually has to be muzzled. You know, like, yeah, please. We're not going to judge you. Tell us. No, I'm yeah. not. I honesty, honesty, honesty. Yeah. Please disclose those things from day one. It doesn't mean that I'm automatically gonna muzzle your dog, but I may be a little bit more guard and sensitive yeah. to their and their behavior and read them a little bit better and just be like, okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about. Let's let's go ahead and do the muzzle. Or yeah. I can approach the situation a little differently. Cause if you tell me she's normally fine unless you do this, then I'm gonna try to not Ooh, do that. Like but if you don't tell me. Yeah, if you don't tell me, I'm going to do that and then somebody's going to get hurt, right? Yeah. So just be honest with your dog's behavior. We're not here to judge. We're here to keep everybody self because in the end, these are animals. They yeah. are animals. So yeah. Just- yeah, I always tell anybody who doesn't know Tiago that restraint will make him work. Like he does not do well with restraint, but... He also has a lot of trained behaviors. Can I show you those behaviors? And then it is just run through and show them what those behaviors are and send them on his merry way. And he's a dog who loves right. you a little bit. He, he's happy to be there. But if you go and you try and manhandle him and restrain him, your life is going to be horrible and he's going to be uncomfortable and he's going to be stronger than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a rescue dog that I worked with and that dog was, for the most part, 99% bomb proof love people love kids love cats love everybody you could do anything to that dog but you could not take his rectal temperature oh yeah i know who you're talking about yeah you know you could not he would turn on you in a heartbeat and they'd be like sorry so if those are things that are disclosed to us yeah then i'm like then we just won't do that you know we'll do everything else but i'll do an ear thermometer temperature or something else right (laughs) so again just be honest with your veterinarian about your animal's behavior yeah Awesome. Is there anything that we didn't hit on that you want to share? 
I probably tell people stop thinking that we get financial kickbacks from corporations <laughs> when we make oh, a recommendation. Yeah. Oh, is that a oh, thing? Actually, yeah, Let's people, do that. Yeah. A, yeah. So, you know, when we recommend a certain dog food for, for oh. product, if you consider a kickback, them coming around Christmas time and bringing me cookies, sure enough, I get a kickback. <laughs> but we, we do not get any financial benefit when I recommend a dog food. You're not getting a commission. Or, yeah, we don't get a commission. And I just don't know why this is a rumor that people think is true. Royal Canyon Purina Science Diet Times, yep. you can, you know, yes, vets, we like to recommend these foods. There's a reason why we like to recommend these foods. It's because they do food trials. They do research. They have data that I can actually look up and I can read it. And when there's a food company out there that I ask them, well, who's your veterinary nutritionist on staff? Where's your food trial data? Where's the research that I can read before I read this? And I can't get that. And you're not giving me that shady. I'm not going to drive a car that they just say it's been safety tested and crash tested, but you can't show me the actual data. Right. And so that's a reason why we recommend certain products, whether it's food, supplements, medications, whatever. But I do not get any type of financial kickback from that. We do not. Trust me, I'd be driving a much nicer car if I did. <laughs> So, and I'm not saying that there's not other dog foods or other supplements out there that are good, but you really have to look at the labels that are not all created equal just because their commercial says it. Do your own research too, right? Just don't listen. Stop doctor Googling, ask questions, ask your veterinarian. And then if you do want to do research online, go to a reputable website, go to things like VIN, the Veterinary Information Network. Go to a university vet school's website like UC Davis or Cornell or Colorado State, Michigan State, Texas State, the ones that do all the research. Go to their websites, look up a condition, look up the current data, look up the current recommendation. Don't go to TikTok because there's somebody in person. Don't go to uh, just start Googling stuff and, oh, this person just said that this food is the best thing because blah, 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 blah. Yet so there's Wikipedia. no Wikipedia would be a reputable source. It depends. Look at what their resources are, right? Look at where no, they're Don't go to Wikipedia. <laughs> Just ask your vet. We can direct you to the right places to get this information. But I do not get kickbacks. I'm just going to say that right now. We do not get kickbacks. If you did, you'd have your student loans paid off. Right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'd be retiring a lot sooner. That's true. <laughs> Well, we certainly appreciate you being willing to come on and talk to us and impart your wisdom and share what parents can do to better support their own animal as well as their veterinary staff. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and share us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, come on over to Instagram and engage with us at Sometimes Their Side Eye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.